and welcome listeners to episode 9 of the Ministry of Dice podcast. We are a UK-based podcast talking about all things Dice Masters in the United Kingdom. I'm Chris, aka True Mr. Six, and with me today, my partner in crime, Andy. Aka Golden Balls. <laughs> Golden Balls. He's a, an X-Men character. Is that thought it was Beckham? Well, yeah, sure, but because there's the Marvel connection with Dice Masters, we'll go with the X-Men character. Oh, okay, cool. That works. Little known fact, actually, for the listeners about Andy, did you know that he actually worked for a period of time as a postman in a small Cumbrian village in the north of England? And while he was a postman, he owned a cat. Called Jess. True story. You heard it here first. Yeah. How are you doing, my man? Are you okay, Andy? I'm very well, mate. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, I'm good. It's been a busy week, but that's okay, because it makes the time fly by quicker. Not a true word has ever been spoken. Yeah, I mean, I'm talking from the perspective of being in work, of course. Nobody likes to actually consider the fact that the uh, uh, the state of mortality that we exist in and that time may be moving faster as we get older, as I shuffle closer towards the dark, dark pathway to death. However, when I'm in work, I like things busy because it makes it go quick. Oh, that's right. That's just a nice morbid thought to start a, a podcast on. Absolutely. I like to uplift the listeners. You know how I roll. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear so yeah we've got uh, once again lots of content ready and lined up for you some of you may have noticed the title of this episode it's the golden age special so with all the talk going around about the wkos and modern drafting and modern constructed which a lot of other podcasts have spoken about and probably talked about it in a more informative way than we would have done we thought why not have a little look back into the past, take a little bit of a diversion and talk about Golden Age while everything is so modern obsessed at the moment. Isn't that right, Andrew? That's right. We have got lots of golden things to talk about. It's a shower of golden things. Indeed. Indeed it is. And, and what a pleasure it will be to be on the receiving end of that, I'm sure, listeners. <laughs> um, however, as always, we like to do a little warm-up chat about what we've been playing and what we've been up to. So, Andy, what have you been up to this last two weeks since we last recorded? Loads of gaming in. I went to what me and some of my friends affectionately call CottageCon, and that's because it is a very small convention based in a group of cottages out in the middle of nowhere, where there is very little phone connection, very little contact from anything, and we play loads of board games. It's very much Warhammer 40k geared towards, so there was a lot of that going on. But got some Dice Masters in, which very is good. nice. Very Most good play uh, Mickey face to face took the so bad it could be good team uh, up against uh, mask ring team very happy to have won the first game out of the three there although it might have been something to do with the fact that Mickey was absolutely smashed when I was playing him uh, just to be clear that's now you played the so bad it could be good although it's a little bit better because Andy's changed some cards that's right sorry version 2.0 2.0 point <laughs> so that was fun it was nice to see mickey and, and the guys there played some fantasy realm spread that disease throughout some more of my friends also we played quite a lot of the lord of the rings the hand of the king game oh uh, yeah it's like a little small box game with um some sort of cartoony artwork on it that's it yeah you've got a uh, you lay out the the squares each one representing a different character from the from the program Sure. Or the books, however you want to do it. Uh-huh. Kind of on a six by six square setup. So you put them all out on a table. And then 
you take turns moving Barris around the, the board and you pick up different characters and the more characters you get, you get the banners. And it's simple yet addictive. It's really good fun. It's like anything when it's really simple and then once you start playing it, you get different techniques and tactics and yeah. it's a bit more involved. It's, yeah, it's played, played far more than that than thought we would. So that was, that was oh, fun. Very good. Do you think it might be a good two-player game? Yeah, yeah, it's good two-player because, you know, it's a different kind of dynamic to it. If it's two people, you know what the next person is going to look to do, so you're going to try and go somewhere which is going to make it harder for them to do what they want to do. Yeah, yeah, it's good two-player. It's good good three and four as well. Hmm, I'll take a look at that one. And it's cheap. It's like a tenner. Yeah, I've noticed it on the shelf at my local store, so I may well check that one out. But I need to get around to Fantasy Realms first because you keep telling me <laughs> that it's worth a play. Yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. So, yeah, that was good. What else was there? There's quite a few games. Go Shade Spire, which is the new Games Workshop release, which is a fusion of miniatures and deck building. Magic, although we don't talk about magic. Some Blood Bowl, some Age of Sigmar. Wow. Uh, and, yeah, yeah, it's just loads. I mean, I, I went with a boot full of games. We only got through a few of them, considering all the games that we had going. It was a good weekend, good fun times. Tremendous. I'm glad you enjoyed yourself. Thank you very much. How about you? Yeah, so Dice Masters, I've done an X-Men First Class Draft, a a WKO practice night, like a a three-rounder down at the FLGS. Uh, That, you know, the usual standing Tuesday night get-together that I have with the lads. So that was pretty straightforward. I'm doing my usual thing of procrastinating over my team and chopping and changing things around and being really indecisive. So, you know. History repeating itself there. Um, I enjoyed the draft a great deal. That was good fun. I did reasonably well with a common boom boom. Boom uh, boom. <laughs> boom boom. <laughs> <laughs> boom <laughs> That's jeez. Uh, I wonder how many listeners will know what that's referencing. I used to love Basil. Uh, outside of Dice Masters, so Temp Workers I've seen, a little bit of smash up I've squeezed in this last two weeks. I feel like I've played something else recently as well. How did you get on the Star Wars regional? Oh, yeah. All right. Was <laughs> <laughs> that memorable? Yeah, I didn't win. So only a very small number of people turned up. Our man Ted, our number one fan was there. Hello, Ted. Hi, Ted. I bumped into him by the bus stop the other day as well. And, yeah, it was, it was just good. It's a good bunch of lads. It's very similar community-wise to Dice Masters, where it's nice and relaxed. Everyone's very warm and friendly. It's not the type of environment that you mind losing. So there was lots of banter and lots of conversation going on. They were nice and relaxed games. So, uh, yeah, the, how I did didn't really kind of sit in. But it wasn't like a miserable night of losing back-to-back. I did pull a few games my way. Excellent stuff. Yeah. Yeah, so there we go. All right, so we get on with some actual like episode stuff. Yeah, go on then. I think, actually, before we do that... There's a couple of things we wanted to mention, now that I think about it. There was, yes, there was. Yeah, do you want to, shall I do my mention first, or do you want to do your mention first? Age Before Beauty. Okay, off you go then, mate. (laughs) (laughs) I walked right into that one. (laughs) Um, Right, well, I would like to speak in regards to the video that came out just after we recorded the segment about GW and WizKids coming together for the Dice Masters 40k set. The interview with Justin Zaran by a Spanish guy in Germany. They had a chat about it, gave us some details, which we were too late to add in. Uh, (laughs) However, one thing that Justin did say in that interview, that he is very keen to work closely with European gamers and 
retailers and people enthused with his games over in Europe. Mm. I, I, I know a podcast over in Europe. Well, we're in Europe at the moment that talks solely about Dice Masters. Yeah. You, you know who's really enthused about this game? Who's that? We are. <laughs> we are, are we? Who, who else would you want to work with, connect with and engage with in the European market to spread your Dice Masters word than us? That's a blinding idea. So, we know you're listening. Uh, obviously, we- he'll be there first thing on a Monday morning waiting for this episode to get published. We know that. So he's driving from his mansion made of dice to his office made of dice. <laughs> yeah. Okay, oh, it's, it's Monday. It's, it's, it's Ministry of Dice time. Better so, get on so that. We are going to give you that opportunity to come on and chat to us based in Europe. It's our open invitation. Come and play one of our quizzes. Yeah, you don't even have to talk about Dice Masters. Just, just come on down and I'm throwing down the gauntlet. Come and test your Dice Masters knowledge against me. Andy will get into his little queue branch, tinker away, get his little quiz together, and let, let's just see how it goes. So there we go. We're there waiting we go. for the call. You yeah. know where to find us? Absolutely, yeah. Let us know. Okay, well, my mention there, mate. So I was mooching around on the Reserve Pool the other day. I like the Reserve Pool website, and I was having a look at some of the blog posts that, that people have been making recently. And did you, by chance, notice Gladiator Posse, who I don't really know who that is in real life. You, should, you need to let me know. Uh, who you are if you're out there in realsies because I possibly know who you are in realsies but he'd done another fan made set kind of like what Dice Dice Kitty had done with My Little Pony around the Firefly TV show I have seen that that is very very cool it's incredible it's once again another labour of love that just blows me away so I'm a massive Firefly fan I don't know if you're a Firefly fan uh, Andy yeah yeah I love it love the series yeah, just just tremendous. And I was I was having a look through and reading some of the cards, and what really stands out to me is how thematically tied together the cards are with the events of the show and and, and the characters and the personalities. And I just think it's it's an incredible piece of work. And did you also notice that the dice has been matched up with existing dice? I didn't notice that. So you could literally get print off the cards and play with dice from sets which are already out. That's very cool. That's that is very, very cool. cool. Yeah. I noticed that he's obviously a massive Firefly fan because there are some quite obscure characters referenced in the set. And I thought, oh, this guy definitely knows his Firefly. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I just thought it was really impressive labour of love, so I wanted to give Gladiator Posse a big shout-out. If you've not already done so, listeners, then pop on over to the reserve pool. It's in the blog section. Go take a look at what he's done because I think it's rather incredible. It's really tremendous. Fantastic. Right. Right, on with the proper show then. So, Golden Age special, we're going to take a look at our Golden Age retro pick of the weeks. We've got a bit of a discussion around Golden versus Modern, and we'll explain that when the segment comes through. And we've got one of our classic top tens. So, let's get on with the show. And we're back, continuing the Ministry of Dice Golden Age special this week. And for this next section now, we're going to do a little bit of a twist on our Pick of the Week segment. Squeaky Andy, give us a theme tune. Pick of the Week! So, yes, folks, what we're going to do is we're going to take a card that we are nostalgic about, that is our 
Golden Age Pick of the Week. Traditionally, when we do a Pick of the Week, we all choose a new release or a spoiler that's caught our eye. But this time, we're going to delve back into sets of days gone by and pick a card that perhaps we played with a great deal or, or a mechanic that we loved from back in the day. So are you all set, Andy? Have you put some thought into your card? Ready and raring to go, mate. Okay, well, let's kick off with your choice then, Mr. England. My choice? Yeah. Cool. Right. Well, I was thinking about kind of sets for, of the past and what I like the most. I get drawn back to the age of Ultron set as that was the first one that I properly bought and opened all the packs for and got excited about the cards. So I was having a look through there. There's quite a few I could have chosen, but I have gone for one which may be a little bit obscure, but certainly uh, we found a lot of play with. And that is the Uncommon Ultron Drone. OK. Yeah, sure. I don't think cool. I've played uh, that one much. I'll give you the rundown and give you the stats. So Ultron Drone, one of a million. It's a three-cost fist. It's got the villain affiliation. The ability reads, capture each enemy character blocking Ultron Drone and deal damage to the defending player equal to its fielding cost. Return it at the end of the turn. It's also got a global. Pay fist fist. Choose an opposing character die to block a character die of your choice this turn. His stats run in at 013, 124, and 244. Ah, that's an interesting little gem, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it, we, we got quite a bit of play out of him. He's relatively low cost at three fists. You can get him out, capture or line up what you want to capture with the two fist global, capture it, and immediately you're doing a bit of damage to your opponent for its fielding costs. Yeah. And then used in conjunction with a two-cost Hulk out basic action, you can overcrash in with it and uh, do his full attack through as damage as well. Yeah, yeah, I don't think I've ever really actually cottoned on to Ultron Drone. The global's a little bit more expensive for a force blocker, isn't it? A two-fist... It is, but you, you can kind of work with it because where it's only a, a three-cost die to purchase, if you're buying three or four and you're rolling them, uh, any that you get as, as energy immediately aid towards using that global so the rest of them can uh, for hit in, capture and overcrush over. Yeah, and this is you, you'd have been using that card, I suppose, back in the days when one-cost swarming kobolds were, were all the rage and things as well. So I don't imagine you would have been short of fists. And actually, now that I'm, I'm kind of looking at it here on my phone in front of me, it's not just a force blocker. You, you choose who blocks who. Yeah, there's a lot of flexibility in it because, you, yeah, exactly. You get to choose what you're going to come against. So, obviously, we used it mostly against the Ultron drone for the over-crushing uh, action or to pick the one with the, the highest fielding cost for the bit of direct damage. But there's more that you can play about with because, obviously, you're not specifically having to line it up against the Ultron drone. So, if you've got anything else that you want to do any shenanigans with, then you can line up what you want up against it to, to block. Yeah. I, you know, that... That's a lovely little one there. It, it's a villain. It fit nicely on on villain builds and stuff. Uh, we had to go into like single affiliation night that we played on the FLGS. Yeah. Cause, so for force blocking in the past, I've mostly used in, back in the day. Um, oh, the the Yu-Gi-Oh goblins, goblin attack squad. Uh, goblin attack force. Yeah, that's the one. But of course, that's just a force blocker. It doesn't have that added level of of influence around who must block who which is really interesting to me that's really interesting actually yeah what a great pick andy thank you very much 
No problem. It's, it was a fun club. We, we played it kind of with a theme team. So we had the Ultron drone. We had the Uncommon... Uh, no, the Common even. Common Ultron, which uh, was a bit of a bigger car to stretch to. It was a six-cost fist. Mm. But it's the first time you capture an opposing character die each turn. You deal three damage to your opponent. So if you manage to get kind of Ultron drones and Ultron there, you could do quite a bit of direct damage and then overcrush for a bit more. And it was fun to play with using a bit of jocasta as well super edge to divert back damage that was coming towards you and all that kind of stuff it was a it's a, a fun card uh, and um if you kind of used it thematically with the other kind of ultrony style characters um a fun kind of theme team to play yeah okay what a great recommendation so if there's any listeners out there who use ultron drone themselves and found some nice combos or shenanigans just like andy was describing let us know in the comments but certainly if any of you guys are out there playing golden age events maybe one to take a look at yeah yeah definitely i think he's it was overshadowed a bit by some of the more stronger aviet style cards and, mm. and and it just didn't kind of stand out but we had some fun with it yeah well go, golden i suppose the thing the shadow that's always going to hang over the golden age is is the bard of course but in a single affiliation night or some sort of themed setup uh, that, that you may play down down at your local that'd be a, a great choice for something a little bit different yeah there you go yeah and and also its subtitle is also a spice girl song so it doubles up there and coolness as well <laughs> <laughs> and who doesn't like a spice girl you know what i mean exactly you on like, that note you like the spice girls <laughs> of course i do what's there not to like uh, scary spice Zika zig ah <laughs> although whenever you talk about the spice girls all i the only thing i can ever think about is um what's his name uh avid merion Bo, uh Bo selector <laughs> <laughs> i can't Bo really selector i can't really do the scary spice impression to keep it family friendly can i <laughs> so chris uh, let's talk about your card that you've chosen Oh yeah, okay. So actually, coincidentally, when I was th- thinking about what card I was going to pick, it, one of my driving forces uh, to the decision was was the same as yours, Andy. I was thinking about one of the first sets that I uh, really engaged with and jumped in. So uh, I'm a big DC fan. I've been reading DC comics for decades now. And even though I'd picked up a little bit of AVX, uh, and it was actually around Uncanny X-Men when I first really started playing the game, the point at which I dove in, you know, proper deep into it was with Justice League when that came out. That's uh, being a DC comics fan that really switched me on and so the card i've chosen is a card i've got really fond memories of playing from back in those days and it's batman world's greatest detective oh good choice like yeah. that card like it a lot yeah I, I liked it a lot and i played with it a lot i'll do i'll just do the game text for any listeners out there who are not familiar so batman world's greatest detective he's a five cost mask with the justice league affiliation and his game text reads while batman is active whenever you field a different justice league character gain one life then he has a keyword there, retaliation. If an affiliated character is KO'd, deal one damage to an opposing player. So uh, retaliation is a game text that I, I lament did not seem to go any further outside of the Justice League set. I think there's a random Hulk that's sort of a bit retaliationy, but that was about it. But back then, I loved having a little Justice League team, and, and this Batman was always my first choice because uh, that little bit of life gain and the retaliation damage just worked really, really well together, you know. 
Yeah, definitely. I think we uh, hinted on it on our first full-length episode when we did the guide to getting into the game. We went through the, the, the Justice League team, uh, and, it, and it works so well on a Justice League team. So you've got the Aquaman Arthur Curry that makes yeah. your uh, your purchases cheaper. So you get yeah. him out first because he's nice and cheap. You get Wonder Woman out next so that she's giving you a fielding because some of the characters have got some big old fielding costs. So well, she's sat down by one. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's one of the disadvantages of this Batman, admittedly. On his stats there, he's 134, 255, 366. So you need that Wonder Woman. Batman's fielding costs are not particularly favourable. Yeah, then when you've got got Batman out and you've got uh, the Zatanna who you can either KO to prep or die or field to prep or die, you've got two versions, both are pretty cheap. You can be rotating them all round and, and, and doing some damage and getting a little bit of life gain and uh, lots of to and fro and, and, and fun with that, definitely. Yeah, so one of the things I particularly enjoyed, so over here, Yu-Gi-Oh! and Justice League arrived very close together. I don't know if you if you remember back then. If you if you jumped on Age of Ultron, that was probably before your time. Um, but the two the two sets arrived quite close together, uh, and I remember just sort of in you know as you are when you've got all your new cards and you're making teams. That Zatanna and this Batman with blue eyes, white dragon. And um, I used to use the Zatanna that prepped to die when you KO'd her, and I just created this endless cycle of Zatannas. So blue eyes, white dragon, the, the Zatanna, buy something on the cheap with the discount from the Blue Eyes Global. She would also prep me a die, so I'd have her and another die ready to go for next turn. I'd do a point of damage to my opponent and gain a life for myself, you know, and just keep this cycle going. Uh, and I did loads of experimenting with that, with, like, buying up the Justice League Superman that's just a just a, a big, meaty bit of muscle that, that you can't touch. He's immune to... Is it Globals and Actions, if I remember correctly? I think it's that he cannot be damaged in the attack phase. Yeah... <laughs> So he's there, and without something specific to get rid of him, he is—he's there, and he's not going anywhere. No, absolutely. So you'd, you'd get up a, enough ramp to buy him, but you've softened the ground prior to that with all the retaliation direct damage. You know, uh, and I played around yeah. with the Green Lantern, the one that gives all your other attackers plus two attack plus two defense. And although he was quite high cost at a six, but with this cycle of Blue Eyes White Dragon prepped die from KOing my Zatanna you know that cycle going round and round brought him up and just had this really nasty attacking force to block against or even uh, Batman was always there he was always the linchpin he'd be my first choice for retaliation but there was actually a, an Aquaman that retaliated a Superman that retaliated a Cyborg that retaliated so I even tried out some teams for funsies where I just like really maxed out the <laughs> <laughs> retaliation um it just just went for it like a hundred percent so i've just got really fond memories of experimenting and playing around with with that justice league set uh particularly retaliation was a game set that switched me on i went with batman instead of black manta but that was also another guy i played a great deal for the for pretty much the same reasons you know the retaliation damage and uh, yeah that you know that nostalgia i described before I just feel really sad that retaliation was a keyword again sets that never went any further because I really enjoyed playing with Batman World's Greatest Detective. Awesome choice, mate. Thanks, pal. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, lots of fun days. Uh, I remember uh, there was no heating in the FLGS. Uh, we used to play in the winter and I'd have like my gloves and my hat and my big coat on, KOing katanas <laughs> with blue eyes, white dragon, all of us shivering around the table. <laughs> right, well, there we go. Yeah, so um, uh, two great choices from our retro pick of the week as part of our Golden Age special. 
And so the Ministry of Dice Golden Age special continues. And for this next segment now, we're going to have a little bit of a contest. We've sat down and had a think about some mechanics or archetypes that have Golden Age cards that we all love to play and everybody knew and got involved with that have now been rotated out and taken a look to see if these archetypal cards or these these kind of uh, commonly seen mechanics, win conditions, etc., etc., have got an equivalent in the modern age. And we're going to get a bit of a contest going on between the two and see which we believe is the better so what's the golden age truly these wonderful halcyon days where game text was super powerful and appealed to all gamer types or actually have we found that in the modern age the newer equivalents of these kind of archetypal approaches and mechanics are they more powerful now are they more fun are they more balanced what's the script what's going on where's the the better times lie so we're going to take golden age cards modern age cards and go head to head to see who comes out on top yes let's see if these new kids on the block really do compare well to their old school rivals mm. um, we, we've got a, a few to line up against each other which have got similar abilities or, or mechanics as you said and let's break them down and see who's the best yeah let's do it let's see how it comes out let's do it then right let's- Okay, first up then, we're going to take into the ring Firestorm from the Justice League set, and he's going to compete against Firefly from the Batman set. Shall I read them out? Yeah, go ahead, pal. Cool, so we'll start off with Firestorm. He is a five-cost bolt from the, well, he's got the Justice League affiliation. Uh, subtext is Jason and Ronnie. Ability is, while active, when you field a bolt character, including Firestorm, deal two damage to target character or player. Uh, his stats are one three five one four six and two five six. In comparison, we have got Firefly Ted Carson. He is a three cost bolt. His text reads: uh, When fielded, deal one damage to your opponent for each bolt character die you control. And his stats coming at one two two, one three three, and two four four. Yeah, so a slightly different flavour to each of them. I'm going to come down on the side of Firefly, I think. Why do you think that? Well, a couple of reasons. Firstly, uh, the lower purchase cost switches me on. And I like the fact that he is a a Bolt villain. I think just Bolt villains has got a lot of nice kind of synergy cards that you can pair it up with and make a make a lot of advantage uh, the damage capacity there could be pretty high and and i've been on the receiving end some ted carson damage so i like that because he's a low cost put a lot well a low purchase cost character it's very easy to fire a few off to get that damage driven through and then you know if you pair it up with like a fabricate mechanic you can recycle him round, reuse that when fielded. So I think, yeah, those are my reasons for Firefly. It's uh, the higher cost of Firestorm, the fact that Justice League affiliation doesn't have much tribal synergy around that kind of bolt thing. Uh, as we were saying in our previous segment, Justice League's more about kind of retaliation and stuff. So he has got much better stats, though, hasn't he? He does. I mean, I'm going to have to disagree with you. I think Firestorm is uh, a legendary card. Yeah, he's a five-cost bolt but he's a chunk to get rid of. I mean, his defense of five, six, and six, once he's out there, he's not going anywhere without a fight. When he comes out straight away, he's going to do two damage. And uh, if you've got a, a number of cheap bolts that are cycling around, 
that's a lot of damage that you can be firing off. I know that, that obviously Firefly does the immediate hit of whatever's already in the field, but I think Firestorm for its overall kind of damage ability, I, I, I prefer him. Let alone if you've got Firestorm in the field and then you field a Firefly, that was uh, <laughs> that, that's some serious damage. You get Firestorm out there. He sat in the field. You start cycling some weenie bolt characters, and suddenly you got you got two down straight away, and then you could be doing two, four, six turns just from uh, kind of throwing them out there. Then you can fire them into the attack, see what happens there. Do they get knocked out? Do they get pushed back? You know, do they cycle round again whilst he sits there firing away with his with his damage? I'd I'd have to say that Firestorm for me is the the, the winner. Mm. So thinking on it now. I was just listening to your argument there. And one thing that also occurs to me is that I think when fielded has got more counters to it than a while active. Yeah. Yeah, we've got uh, we, we've, we've got a couple coming up that uh, that deal with when fielded that we'll talk about later. Yeah, he's, there's, he can be blanked. But once he's out there, other than the blanking, and well, you've got a few different kind of counters, haven't you, in modern with things like Bishop... Or you've got the kind of shrieks and, and e-whizzes. But uh, they're, they're the same for both. He's not going to be affected by any when-fielded resistance. Yeah, OK, I'm changing my vote then. Yeah, um, you've, you convinced me. I'm coming round. Let, let's, this round, then, as far as I'm now concerned, is going to have to go to Firestorm. You've made a compelling argument, Mr England. Thank you very much. 1-0 to the old school. Yeah, 1-0 to the old school. There we go. Golden Age takes the first round. Shall we take a look at our second round? Who have we got here? Oh, this is a juicy one. So we're going to now compare Green Goblin Gobby to Norman Osborn. Don't call me Gobby. Yeah. Do you want to give the rundown? Yeah, sure. Okay, let's start with Green Goblin Gobby then. So he's a three-cost bolt villain, and his game text reads, When fielded, Green Goblin deals one damage to your opponent for each sidekick in the field. And then in brackets it says, Count your sidekicks only. And his stats are 0 2 and 155. In comparison there, we have Norman Osborn, Don't Call Me Gobby. He is a three-cost fist villain from the Guardians of the Galaxy set. And his game text says, When fielded, Norman Osborn deals one damage to your opponent for each villain's character die in the field zone. He, ha- he also has a little kind of bracket addendum there that says yours and your opponent's. And his stats read 1-2-1, one, 1-3-2, two, one, one, two, and 1-4-3. Now, this is an interesting matchup. Well, for me, there's only one winner in this matchup, and it's got to be Gobby. Okay, sure. Why, why is that? Well... It's the, the ease of use of Gobby to do a hell of a lot of damage as opposed to Nobby that I think does it for me. I mean, Gobby was just is a three cost bolt when we were playing it and we could use four dice in the first turn. You could quite easily buy him first turn, field a sidekick. Before you know it, you've got a few sidekicks out. You throw Gobby out there. He's going to be doing three, four, maybe five damage straight off the bat. Mm. Uh, his stats are superb for a three cost certainly the fielding cost of one and the five five on the attack and defense on yeah. level three is a massive chunk so then you've got you've got options there do you blue eyes him off ready for the next turn or do you hold on to him you could attack with him and that's going to go through for five if there's nothing there to defend do you leave him there because your opponent's trying to keep him in the field leave him there to defend the next turn and they think oh all well and good he's still there then you blue eyes him off 
at the end of their round anyway, so you can swing them around again. So many different shenanigans to continually kind of rotate him around and do uh, damage after damage after damage. Whereas Nobby, he's still good, he's still really good, but limited with dependent on villains that are out. Uh, although obviously it's, it covers your opponents as well, so you could be doing quite a bit depending on what they've got. Stats aren't as good. No, they're not. They're not far off, but they're nowhere near the gobby stats. Uh, and uh, similar in what he's doing, I can see why they've brought it down a peg or two. And I like the way that they've referred back to the AVX super rare bad boy that Gobby was. But uh, to me, Gobby will will take the biscuit. Well, okay, just a couple of things. I think I largely agree, but just a couple of things to put out there to see if this maybe swings you around a touch. So the fact that Norman Osborn includes not only your villains, but your opponent's villains. And also, just uh, as a sort of side note on that, uh, there was an interesting discussion I saw on on one of the social media pages the other day. I think it was Shadowbeld made an interesting point that looking at the Virtual Worlds team at the moment, and there's probably a fairly good indicator as to what kind of WKO-type teams are going to be looking like. He'd done a a bit of statistical analysis and seen that actually not only were villains highly prevalent, in the current meta but they were also a a guaranteeable linchpin to a lot of teams so the fact that he includes your opponent's villains is a a pretty nice advantage and would that turn your head a little it's certainly something to consider but i still think the and you've mentioned it before the reward for for minimum effort would have to go to gobby because fielding a sidekick or using some kind of globals to make sure you've got sidekicks out there so you're not even having to rely on uh, the luck of the rolls uh, and you can be kind of cycling through or by two by three <laughs> yeah well um, so uh, i'll tell you a little story we, we did a golden age constructed event down at element games and one of the lads uh, brought a gobby team uh, as part of that event and i kid you not he so we rolled off the sidekicks he won the first turn he rolls his three dice he rolls three sidekicks just straight out the gate first roll i couldn't believe it just three sidekicks like if ever there was a first turn roll in a gobby team that you could you know make hay from so he fielded his three sidekicks then turn two idiot muggins here had brought rip rip hunter along so he rolls his dice and he rip hunters a green goblin into his prep area turn three Rolls him on level three, fields him, pings me for three damage, and then walks him over for another five combat damage. <laughs> and I'd, I'd not even pulled a character out of my bag by this point. I hadn't even got anyone in the field. Uh, he's brutal, brutal dice if, if used well, or if used mediocrely as yeah, well. Yeah, sure. I mean, there's that yeah. balance question. He, you're right, that thing that I keep harping on about over and over and again, and I'll have to shut up about, uh, around that kind of, well, when you compare the cost and the impact he has, you know, the minimum effort for the maximum amount of reward, th- does that mean he's an unbalanced card? Because, you know, like you say, sidekicks, you've got eight of them at the outset of the game, so everything you need resource-wise is there just ready to go for a good gobby hit, isn't it? However, there's no denying, yeah, you're right, I think this round has got to go to AVX. It's the Golden Age again. Ting, ting, ting. 2-0 to the old school. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let me get my list out and take a look here. So we're going to take a look now at KO Mechanics. And in the ring, we have Blue Eyes White Dragon, Monstrous Dragon. And he's facing up. Well, we had a few options here, but we've chosen to face him off against the Clay Golem Lesser Construct. 
Okay, right. So we have got Blue Eyes White Dragon, the seven cost bolt, monstrous dragon subtext. His ability reads once per turn, you may knock out one of your monsters to give this monster plus three attack. But it's really the global that we're looking at, which is pay bolt and knock out one of your monsters to reduce the cost of the next die you purchase by two. And his stats are one, six, five, two, seven, six, and three, eight, seven. Then we've got up against him, Clay Gollum. As Chris said, we could have chosen any of the, the Gollums, really. We're really looking at the, the fabricate kind of mechanic, uh, but to read him out. So, Clay Gollum, greater construct. He's a five-cost fist. Fabricate, two, four. You may KO two character dice with a total purchase cost of four energy or more to purchase this die for free. While Clay Gollum is active, you may redirect two damage from other character dice to, the char- to this character dice each turn. And he comes in at one, three, five, two, four, six, and three, five, seven. Yeah. So I'm sad to report, really, but I think once again, the Golden Age has got the edge on the Modern Age here because I'm going to throw my vote behind Blue Eyes White Dragon. I'm going to have to agree. I mean, and there is a lot of nostalgia with the Blue Eyes card, I think, for both of us. And again, it's, it's the mechanic, it's the, the global that we're looking at. And there's so many shenanigans that you can do with the global. So not only are you able to remove something out of your field when something coming up might affect it. So uh, examples like they've got a D-Wiz coming out and you need to get your Hulk or your Bard out, out of the field quickly so that they can't blank it. Or uh, you want to you wanna swing them back around so you've got uh, Gobby and you want to knock it out so you can refield it next turn. Uh, the fact that you can do it at the end of your opponent's turn. So, uh, you know, Gobby can sit there as a defender, as a, an extra body in the field, and then you knock him off last minute so you can swing him round at the beginning of your turn. Let alone the the reduction in the purchase cost of, of your next die, which is also cumulative as well. So you've got a couple of elf thieves out or some sidekicks uh, with a couple of bolt. You knock one out, so you've knocked an elf thief out so he can come back around and steal some more energy next turn. You're then reducing the cost of the next die you get by two. Do it again. They're reduced by four. So you can end up with a massive round of dice in your prep, plus a massive character, for example, Beholder, ready to to, to kind of rock and roll and come in as well. So many layers to how you can use that ability to, to really do some great kind of ramping, knocking out and refielding, some great kind of uh, maneuvers to get your upper hand on your opponent. I cannot disagree with any of that. You're absolutely right. The fact that it's unlimited, you know, I've been playing around lately with a Hawk and Dove team and the Hawk's game text, he deals his attack damage to your opponent when a Dove gets KO'd. So I'm looking for a mechanic to KO Dove and I'm I'm using a Clay Golem to do that with. But then I'm limited by the number of Clay Golem dice that I add to the card. So I'm putting four Clay Golem dice on to maximise the opportunity to KO. But that's four dice then cutting into the overall 20 dice count on my team. Whereas Blue Eyes White Dragon, I quite often used to just drop one on the team with a single dice on it. Do you know what? If I ramped up to a seven and I needed a pretty nice bit of muscle, then he was there if I needed him. But he wasn't cutting into my dice count. And how difficult really was it to orchestrate a bolt to use the global? Uh, so while Clay Gollum... You know, drops you a couple of dice in the prep area, which is nice for some ramp next turn. His damage redirect ability is not anything to be sniffed at. And it does get you another character, a pretty beefy character to put in the field, which could be handy at times. Um, that Just that unlimited 
<laughs> and again, minimum effort for maximum impact. Pay a bolt. Done. You know, it, this has got to go to Blue Eyes White Dragon, and I think many, many, many listeners would agree. Yeah, well, I'm in agreement with that. I mean, not not to say that the clay golem is a bad card. I mean, you've you've described it there that you use the uh, the fabricate ability in a very similar way to how you use blue eyes so you've got that removal aspect so you can get something out of the way of something that's coming you've got the ability to then get things in prep to have a big turn next time round you get to purchase the dice not eating into what energy you've got this turn it's got a decent kind of defensive ability as well so it it has many of the same aspects but when it comes to ease of use blue eyes definitely pips it to the top spot yeah, so what, what are we on now then? So is that 3-0 to Golden? It is 3-0. 3-0 to Golden, right. Okay, well, let's let's see if round four can swing it in the favour of the modern age. And this time we're going to look at a couple of control cards. And we are going to take into the ring Constantine Hellblazer from the Justice League set. And he's going to face off against Madame Mass from the Guardians of the Galaxy set. Is it my turn to do some reedy reading? It is indeed. Okie dokie then. So Constantine to start with is a two cost shield character and his game text reads while Constantine is active before your opponent's clear and draw step you may name a character. If that character is fielded this turn ignore its text until the end of the turn and it cannot attack this turn. And his stats are 0-2-2, and 1-3-3. And his competitor here is Madame Mask. She's a four cost mask villain character. And her subtitle is Nefarious Schemes. And her game text reads, While Madam Mask is active, your opponent's when fielded abilities do not trigger. And her stats are 0-3-2, and 1-4-4. Oh, this is a tight one. This is a tight one. So some part of me leans quite heavily towards Constantine. Purchase cost, I think, is the thing that's swinging it for me. I would, oh, what I wouldn't give for a Constantine in these days of Shriek now, you know, a card that I could afford to buy before they could afford to buy their Shriek would just, uh, it's just, it's just something that um, I would love to have knocking around right now. Uh, I like the fact that it prevents the attack in the turn they're fielded as well as just the when fielded ability. Um, yeah. so, so that's attractive. I suppose the thing is though, with Constantine, honestly, I just used to always forget to name a die. Yeah, that is true, and that is something I think a lot of us I will admit to, get having Constantine out there and then just forgetting all about naming something. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I remember the first world, uh, first nationals over here at the UK Games Expo. It, it actually, uh, one of my opponents, I think it might have even been... Uh, it may have even been you, mate. Uh, it got to the point where they just said, I presume, you know, do you want to name a... <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to name a character? You've not. We dice through my hand. You've not seen them. Will you name something, please? You know. And I played uh, Ben Scott. Is another great example of this. I played Ben Scott quite a few times over the years now. And at one point in one game, a WKO, Ben said, "I'm just going to presume from this point forward, Chris, <laughs> that you are naming this dice." You know because it was the obvious choice um, and I'd, I'd named it when I had remembered I'd named the same dice over and over again so we, we have wonderfully sportsman-like uh, competitors that help me out with that but that's kind of even though I'm leaning a bit more towards Constantine uh, you know that's kind of in the mix also the rarity the, the fact that Constantine is a super rare and maybe harder to acquire I yeah I mean I'll 
I, I think with that, I mean, I'm pretty sure that Ben has got a little dice that he puts his Constantine on top of yeah. so that he stands a little bit higher so he remembers. There's a lot of positives for Constantine. Two costs with that ability was mental. I'm pretty sure that he was the first choice purchase for a lot of people for a long, long time because you can get him out there super, super quick and he's giving you some massive defence. So he's, you know, whatever's coming out that's nasty, he can stop any kind of fielded effect uh, and also stop it attacking for a turn. So with the with the days of Bard, uh, you can name Bard and you've got a turn to scrabble around and try and do something. Usually that doesn't work, but to stop the, the Bard swing in. So he's definitely good. But then Madam Mask, once she's out there, she's covering every when fielded ability, isn't she? Yeah. Yeah, so, uh, that, that is you, a fair point. You've got a few different kind of when fielded effects coming at you at once where Constantine's going to be able to nullify one. Madam Mask very much just blankets the whole when fielded abilities completely. So no Shriek, no D-Wiz, no Gobby, no Firefly. Uh, the guys that we've just mentioned, they're all splatted while she's out there. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's a reasonable point. And... I think that's the reason why I'm actually, even though I do love Constantine, I used him a great deal and I would pay WizKids good, good money right now to make him legal again <laughs> to counter my least favourite card at the minute. I think I'm going to have to put my vote behind Madam Mask. I, to surprise myself, am leaning the same way. So yes, as controversial as that may be and with the flack that we will no doubt receive for doing so, we're going to give this round to Madam Mask. Oh, mate, it wouldn't be a Ministry of Dice episode if one of us didn't take the flack for something we've said. Very true. So, uh, yeah, uh, let us know why you think we're wrong and why Constantine is better. (laughs) That uh, listeners out there will have some opinions, probably quite strong on that, because Constantine Hellblazer uh, is an awesome card. Some of us got a shiny version. Mm. Some of us got a shiny version of Gobby as well. So on to round five then. So we're at 3-1 currently to Golden versus Modern. And round five is a uh, win condition that we feel needs comparing. And we're going to compare Spider-Man, Web Slinger, against Madam Web, The Great Web Unravels. Right, okay. So Spider-Man Web Slinger is a five-cost fist. Text is, when Spider-Man assigns two attack, you may pay fist to force every opposing character to block him if able his stats being 033144155 whereas madam web the great web unravels is a four cost fist she's got the spider friends affiliation and when madam mask attacks you may pay two energy if you do all opposing character dice must block madam web this turn mm. very 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 similar and I think with this one, it boils down to some statistical mathematics. Probably that goes way over our heads. <laughs> uh, this is, you're talking about, what do they call it? The total fielding cost here, are you? That's right. So you've got, well, you've got 012 for Madam Web and you have got 011 for Spider-Man. So Spider-Man gives that a little bit, a little bit cheaper to field. You're paying one less energy to trigger the effect with spider-man than you do for madam web however spider-man needs to be a fist 
whereas Madame Web can be any kind of energy. So that would include your generic energies that you get from maybe Bagburn uh, yeah. or from fluffing a basic action dice roll. Yeah, um, spun down cold gun or something, yeah. So you'd be looking at the statistics of how likely you'd get an extra energy, but it being generic as opposed to having that specific fist, how that compares to the slightly different fielding, the slightly extra fielding costs for Madame Web. Yeah, so not, not that I'm speaking from experience or anything, but I'm, I'm leaning a bit more towards Spider-Man because the thing with Madame Web, if you roll her on level three... Uh, and I get what you, I totally get what you're saying about the fact that it's generic energy, and I can entirely see the advantage in that. And I get what you're saying about the fact that you can't, you're paying that cost, whether it's in the fielding cost or in the purchase cost, uh, it's just delaying it a turn. But I can see a situation again, not that I'm speaking from experience or anything, where you might <laughs> roll your Madam Web on level three, you have to pay two to field her, and you put yourself in a position where you can't get her in the field, and then make use of her game text. You know. Um, PSG. Uh, yeah well we'll get to that whereas spider-man i think it'd be easier to orchestrate a fist so that you could field him and then make use of his game text to turn he hits the field sure i can see that i can see that i think i can imagine that we're going to be split on this one yeah so I, i'm definitely leaning a little bit more towards spider-man but then uh, you know in, in all the other kind of categories that i might consider in terms of attack and defense or you know the actual impact of the game text there's not a great deal in it uh, certainly the fact that Madame webs a, a spider friends affiliations not enough to <laughs> 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 it's not not really created a big swing for me but i think i'm gonna have to go spider-man I'll, I'll, I'll give you that i think we should do to spider-man i'd be very interested if there are any mathematical whizzes listening to give us a breakdown to see if there is a mathematical advantage from one over the other mm. or a percentage advantage to us if you if you do that let us know be very interested in that but yep spider-man he's going to take it to bring the the old golden cards the commanding lead yeah yeah okay so our final round now round six we're going to take a look at ramp and our competitors for this round are professor x take your pit, XG, baby <laughs> take your pit really trainer or recruiting young mutants uh, because it's really the global that, that is going to be the focus of this discussion and he is going to be competing against dark side force of entropy from the batman set is it my turn to do the reading Read me that PXG. Yeah, okay. So, Professor X then, Recruiting Young Mutants. I'm going to do that one just because it happens to be the one I've got open. He's a six-cost mask X-Men character from the Uncanny X-Men set. And his game text is, when fielded, search your bag for up to two sidekick dice to unroll them. But here's the crux of it all. Global, pay mask, move up to two sidekick dice from your use pile to your prep area. Uh, then Darkseid, our other competitor, Darkseid Force of Entropy. He's a six-cost bolt villain, and his game text reads, while Darkseid is active, your sidekicks gain swarm. Uh, I think this one has to boil down to work versus reward. And as good as Darkseid is, PXG was just such an easy way to get dice. It was fun. I mean, when you first played it and you found out how it works, there's like, Really? um you know that 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 kind of surprise when you know you you pay one you spin two over into prep ready for next turn and then you go from that level to when 
you use PXG properly and there's, <laughs> there's all all kind of things you can do. Again, you've got the masks there. You're going to hold on to them. You're holding on to them so your opponent doesn't know if you're going to fire off any other mask-related globals in their attack phase or in your attack phase. If you don't need them, then you can quite happily start firing masks into use and dice over into prep and on your opponent's turn when you haven't got any worries about out of play. You can literally be flicking one over to pass two over to prep. But do that one that you just flicked in, that's one's going over as well. Uh, and be just be swimming inside kick dice ready for the next turn. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's no secret. Regular listeners of the podcast and regular readers of my blog posts, or just generally anyone who see me commenting anywhere in the Dark Hunters community <laughs> will know that uh, I believe Darkseid is healthier and much more balanced for the game overall. However, it, by the criteria that we're running this little contest against, yeah, there's no denying, in terms of sheer efficiency of getting your dice count up to buying, spending on what you need to spend and buy on, there's no comparison, is there? No, no, and that's not to say that dark side isn't good. I mean, once you've got that swarm, or you just need to get them out on a sidekick and you're pulling every sidekick through your bag every turn, but it's the effort to get there, although very doable with the different mechanics and uh, and globals that you can put in place, it's just, just not as easy as, as rolling a mask. No. <laughs> just no. roll a mask. Just and, roll a mask, yeah. Set. Yeah. Uh, you're not wrong it's yeah roll the mask that's it you're away so yeah round six is gonna have to go to professor x so at the end of our golden versus modern contest it's five one to golden well done golden golden so the old oldest is quite clearly the best yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's you know it's, it's an evolving meta, uh, and I think this is why. Uh, while it was a bit of fun to have a bit of discussion and compare those cards, uh, I n- don't necessarily think I've felt the impacts. The only the only one that I would that would full on shed that I full on shed a tear for, and wish, wish, wish I still had in my toolbox is is Constantine. Uh, with Blue Eyes as a close second, but it, you know we're we're clearly not a game that is suffering under some outrageous power creep, are we? No, I think it, that that kind of comparison shows a couple of bits. It shows that WizKids are obviously looking to try and bring a more balanced feel to the game to kind of tone down anything that was a bit overpowered. Uh, but it also does show that playing gold and playing your older cards is going to be fun and, and shouldn't be ignored. And there's there's enough game changing. Uh, shenanigans from the older cards to, to to kind of keep them interesting and keep them being played. Yeah, I agree. I entirely agree. Absolutely, yeah. So there we go, folks. We'll wrap that one up there. Keep playing Golden, I suppose, is the conclusion of that one. <laughs> yeah. Which is appropriate for our Golden Age special. Is indeed. On to the next segment. Chris, mate. <laughs> yes, mate. I don't think we've cracked this top ten yet. What do you mean we're not cracked this top ten? That last one we did was awesome. Yeah, it was all right, but I think we can do better. Well, what do you want to do then? Do another one? Yeah, yeah, I've got one planned, actually. Can I send it over to you? Uh, yeah, sure, fire it over. What, what are you sending it on? Uh, do it on uh, Messenger. Hold on a sec. Cool. Oh, ignore that one. That's That's a picture for someone else. Um, uh, yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. Edit that bit out, mate. Um, here we go, yeah. 
it's fireworks themed one. Okay, here we go then. Uh, you want me to read this one out? Yeah, yeah, read that one out. Cool. <laughs> Coming in at number 10, you know who really loves Bonfire Night, it's Pyromaniac. Calm down, calm down for number 9, it's Elemental Fury. Number 8, it can't be a Destiny player, it's an explosive personality. 7, he packed his bag last night pre-flight, it's ready to rock it. At number 6, step back once you've lit that fuse, it's Delayed Blast Fireball. Guy Fawkes would be so proud with number 5, it's Time Bomb. It's not recommended in the safety video, but you know someone is, number four, playing with fire. Take cover for number three, it's rocket attack. A non-mover at number two, be sure to hold at arm's length, it's a real firecracker. And at number one, it's an impressive feast for the eyes and ears. Top of the chart is Triangle Ecstasy Spark. And so we come to the end of yet another episode of the Ministry of Dice. We hope you enjoyed our wander down memory lane, thinking about those rotated out golden cards that we've talked about in the episode you just listened to. I also hope that, Justin, you are out there and you heard our challenge in the intro, and our listeners can look forward to hearing your dulcet tones on an episode in the near future. But in the meantime, thank you so very much for listening. We love that you guys are out there spending your time with our little podcast. I've been Chris, a.k.a. True Mr. Six. And I've been Andy, a.k.a. My wife blocked up your toilet, Dave. (laughs) Hello, Dave. Hello, Dave. Dave. And on that note, we'll wind it up there. Take it easy, folks. So we've got the competition announcements to do, haven't we? We have. We better draw that. Yeah, let me get my hat. Have you put all the names on it? It's a paper. No, I won't take me two secs to do that, though, will it? Give me a sec. Uh, there's a pen. Oh, where is my hat? Have I been wearing it? It has been raining a lot lately. Give me a minute. It's in my work bag, I think. Actually, have a flat cap. Yeah, man. I've got several, in fact. <laughs> 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 one of them's in the boot of the car because you have to have one in the boot of the car just you know just in case you break down and you need a hat and then I've got like a day hat I've got, <laughs> I've got like a day hat travelling hat thing you know what I mean yeah of course when I've broken down I've always thought oh, I wish I had a hat yeah man yeah I bet you were cold shivering your ass off there it is Kangol of course <laughs> very Samuel L. Jackson of you uh, no uh, Samuel he copied me Good luck in the WKOs!